We're here to inspire, inform, and connect entrepreneurs and high achievers. Welcome to Results Radio with the number one results coach in the country, Sean Shuchuk. Sean is as focused on your results as you are. Visit our website at www.yourresultsradio.com and take advantage of the free tips and gifts. Plus, get your copy of the best-selling results journal developed by the number one results coach in the country. With you in mind, it is the most powerful achievement tool used by high achievers today. Here is the host of Results Radio, Sean Shuchuk. Good afternoon, everybody. It's Sean Chuchak. Welcome back to our Big Results interview series for 2014. We have an awesome interview coming right up for you. I have a really special guest with me today. And I've got to tell you, this is really a treat, and I'm really excited to, to get started. He's a very successful businessman, best-selling author, philanthropist, and although he's, he's left the den, he's well-known as one of the dragons from the hit CBC show Dragon's Den. In case you haven't already figured it out, uh, with me today is W. Brett Wilson. Good afternoon, Brett. Thank you for joining me today. Hello, and thank you for the opportunity. I enjoy the uh, the privilege of, uh, of sort of sharing some of my insights into uh, the 10,000 things that people think I'm an expert in. Well, we're, we're going to delve into some of those right now, if I may. I mentioned uh, in the introduction that uh, not so long ago you wrote a book. And uh, I've had the, the privilege to, uh, to read some of it. And in the book, you discuss a number of topics. But first, what, what prompted you to, to write a book? Well, the start in terms of the origin of the book really goes back to my first season on Dragon's Den. And candidly, I had no intention of writing a book um, until someone came to me and said, you know, you have an amazing platform by virtue of your visibility, not necessarily credibility, but visibility with television. And so we engaged a ghostwriter and said, let's rip. And I was going to do 25 vignettes in the life of Brett with some business uh, outcomes, business uh, advice that came as a result of sort of my thoughts and thinking. Well, we, we ripped into, I did a couple of days of interviews with a ghostwriter. And by the time I got the result a month later, exactly as promised, the sort of size as promised, everything, I read through the book and I was so troubled and disappointed because there was so much of it that was new to me. And I'm thinking, this isn't in my voice. Uh, I appreciate that ghostwriters do this all the time, that business people have ghostwriters do things, but it wasn't genuine. It wasn't reflecting what was really on my mind. So I said, no good. We're not going to publish this. So I paid the bills and said, good try, but not for me. A couple years later, Penguin Books came to me and said, look, the genre of dragon books has now exploded. Every dragon has one, and a couple of them, or one of them has a couple of books out. It's time for you to publish. So I said, okay, fine. I have a book on the shelf. I'll take a closer look at it. We'll see what we can do to update it, bring it to uh, a standard that I'm happy with. And um, that's really the genesis of how that book came together. It really was a labor of love where I took what was given to me, threw away probably 90% of it. You'll find the old book is now chapter. Chapter 1 and Chapters 2 to 10 are my work. Well, it's a fantastic book. I've had the privilege to read at least part of it. And so I'm going to 
just throw some uh, some stuff at you and uh, you know you talk about in the book a uh, moral compass so share with me if you would and, and those listening why you believe a moral compass is important you know I think so many times in a in a Western society and let's be clear there's a lack of moral compass in a lot of non-western or non-capitalist based economies but let's just focus on what we know best and that's our economy but people lose track of their moral compass in the context of the single-minded pursuit of wealth and uh, sometimes the trappings of wealth sometimes the power that comes with wealth sometimes it's just a it's a in my mind a um, an inefficient and almost um, backwards way of looking at life when you're so narrowly focused on on the things that uh, are part of your life instead of the people and so the moral compass challenge comes from saying you know what you have a chance to do what's right every time you make a decision and if you ever compromise your integrity you're losing sight of where your moral compass should really take you and sometimes and not entirely jokingly I say if your children were your board of directors and you had to explain to them the decision you were making could you do it that's a great question and and great advice really I believe that we've been conditioned to avoid failure and and you know um, I work I privileged to work with people all over North America business people uh, entrepreneurs executives and this is very prevalent and you talk about in the book how failure can lead to success can you weigh in on that a little bit well a huge part of my thinking there and I think real life experience comes saying you know what mistakes are how you learn if you had three or four successes in a row you might actually start to believe that you know everything and we all know that's simply untrue and uh, impossible in the context of making mistakes you know the subtitle of my book is still making mistakes and uh, and the music an amusing anecdote on that when I was negotiating the book with Penguin and the original title that I dreamt up was redefining success in a wealth obsessed world with a subtitle being still making mistakes and they asked if I would make the title of the book still making mistakes and I paused and said you know my life's not that screwed up it's not the title it's just a subtitle but it's still the essence of my willingness to try and guess what I still do fail we set up events I make uh, I do things we try promotions um, I invest in businesses I still make mistakes but I no longer fear that outcome you know there's a, a sort of a the North American way of shaming people for their mistakes because it's the headlines. We we shame our politicians for making what I consider to be extraordinarily trivial mistakes, blaming it on a breach of ethics and as opposed to an attempt to do something right, and it slipped and failed. And we hold them to a standard that makes no sense. So the essence of learning comes from, you know, success certainly creates its own learning opportunities, but I can tell you with certainty that failure, if it's taken in the right context as a learning experience a learning moment is probably one of the most powerful tools we have so certainly then if faced with failure we shouldn't run from it faced with failure we should not run from it. it's a great way of putting it you know we we just as a society don't tend to accept or respect those who try it's only those who succeed that we reward and quite frankly you know whether it's my staff who uh, you know and more than one of the people I work with has come out of let's just say an addiction treatment program or being terminated by somebody else that means they were a failure in the context of someone else's definition but that doesn't make them a bad person it doesn't 
in fact mean that they can't be you know relevant in my world and uh, certainly I've had some incredible success working with people uh, even investing in companies where the president or the uh, couple of the lead entrepreneurs have made mistakes because you know what it's odd. the odds are they're not going to make those mistakes again absolutely you you mentioned and, and you kind of touched on this already but you mentioned challenging status quo and when I read this part in your book I found it really interesting and I think it's perhaps something and, and that maybe more of us should embrace but not only in business but maybe in our own lives give us some insight on, on the embracing uh, or sorry challenging status quo well, I think that what I'm challenging there or really poking at is accepting the way things are. You know, it, um, you know, if yesterday was good enough, we often say, well, and continue that way. But we often, and we know there's that great line that says the definition of insanity is doing something the same and expecting a different outcome. Well, we all should want, in my mind, to be a little better, whether that's better in life or better in health or better in friendships or better in, um, you know, in the work environment that we're in. And the only way to be better is to make change. And so whether that means physical exercise, whether that means uh, upgrading and thinking about how you eat, and I'm not talking about dieting, I'm talking about diet in terms of what you eat. You know, there's so many places we can improve. And status quo, for me, is the pursuit of good enough. And we sometimes jokingly observe that the pursuit of perfection it would be the death of most of us because you end up in an interminable loop that just never ends as you pursue perfection. But we have a saying in my office, and I'll end on this thought, that we pursue perfect enough. So it's a higher standard than good, but it's less than perfection. It's perfect enough. That's very good. Um, I think everybody at some point in time has given up on something in their lives. Why do you suggest to never give up? Well, in the context of when you say never give up, I mean, if you give up on everything, there's a time and a place to say, you know what, enough is enough. When you say give up, I mean, uh, I can tell you many times on Dragon's Den, we'd encounter people who would put their life savings into an idea that made no sense. And again, the pursuit of uh, the single-minded pursuit of an idea, that that tenacity has a, is a virtue, but I always say that tenacity taken to the extremes is delusional, and you've got to be careful. Uh, it was a big part of why I always ask the question, how much time and how much money have you put into this? Because that comes back to, at some point, should you not give up? You know, 10 years trying to create something that uh, the world clearly doesn't want or that you can't turn into a profitable business might be time. If you've tried for three weeks and uh, the idea is really not resonating, modify the idea but keep working. So there's different variations of that theme. Thank you. I know there's a lot of entrepreneurs listening to us today. And for a lot of folks, embracing, I guess, risk is a hard pill to swallow. And I know you've talked about this, I think, in the book, and even I've heard you speak on this before, where you say that, you know, uh, we should embrace risk. If I'm an entrepreneur listening today, what's the message when you talk about embracing risk? Well, one of my actually favorite conversations in the context of entrepreneurial uh, thought processes and, uh, and exercises is, in fact, challenging what constitutes risk. Sometimes it's the perception of risk. But I will say for sure to start with, I've yet to run into an entrepreneur who wants to start a business to chase the adrenaline rush that a, um, an addicted 
gambler would pursue in Vegas, the uh, pursuit of the next uh, card, the flip of the next card, the roll of the next dice. Um, those are sort of what I call the adrenaline junkies who are chasing a different perception of risk than I think of in the context of what entrepreneurs do. Entrepreneurs simply, for me, view risk differently. The same risk to another person might be too much to tolerate. I can tell you that I started my first business on the strength of a conversation on an airplane where a client of my firm's asked me if the boss I was working for at the time had what it would take to turn the firm into a full-service investment bank. Well, you shouldn't criticize your boss to your own firm's number one employee or number one uh, client. So I paused, and in that pause, the client put his hand up and said, look, you don't really need to answer that. Just know that if you ever go out on your own, I would hire you. Well, that's interesting. He would hire me. But what I really heard down deep was, if he would hire me, I can find another senior officer of the Canadian oil patch, given that there are hundreds and hundreds of companies. I'll find another one who would hire me for the advisory services that I was providing in terms of trading oil and gas properties. I knew I could find someone else. And so on the strength of that, I jumped off and started my own business. Now, a cynic would say, hey, you're on an airplane, client has a couple of glasses of wine and says, I'd hire you. And you start a business, whereas someone who understands the entrepreneurial mind process would go, perfect, stepping off point, right place to launch, go for it. So again, it's the same facts in the perception of different eyes, the eye in, by, perceived by different eyes, is going to lead to a different outcome. And that's why I believe so fundamentally that the study of entrepreneurship, I don't mean the skills of entrepreneurs, but the study of entrepreneurial experiences, case studies, real life examples of people who've done the entrepreneurial process. For me, that's about planting seeds of entrepreneurship, which then will lead to when the right day comes along and the right risk are presented, that entrepreneur will be ready. That's, uh, that's, that's really, really well said. Thank you. You've spoken about balance and family in, in the past, and I know that uh, you know, this is a topic you've spoken from platforms about. Please share with us some of your insight or your view on balance and success in life. Well, for me, that whole context of uh, work-life balance comes up quite often when I'm doing some of my public speaking, and a, and a common question, well, common observation by a cynic would say, look, it's real easy for someone who's made or appears to have made a bunch of money, it's real easy for them to comment and say, look, money's not worth all that it's cooked up to be. You really have to focus on work-life balance. And I get that. So I have to step back and say, all right, well, what messaging would I like to have received when I was in the mind in my own pursuit of wealth as I was building my career, mid-30s, couple of young children, wife? Um, what advice would I have liked to have heard that might have been game-changing for me? Because here I am, and candidly, I can't go back and create another evening with my kids. All I can do is deal with today and tomorrow. So the past can't be relived. So what do we do? Well, we need to raise the um, the bar, if you will, for young people who are or people that are in the pursuit of their careers to think hard about what their definition of success is. If it is solely and singly devoted to the pursuit of wealth, well, that's got one set of outcomes and one set of costs. The cost will be your health. The cost will be your family. The cost will be your friends. But the reward will be a big pile of toys when you're ready to start playing with them. Now, is that all you want? And so, of course, I'm being somewhat cynical when I uh, uh, and sarcastic around that, that pursuit. The question is, the hard question, is how much is enough? 
So if you can get your mind wrapped around creating a life that's rewarding, that's engaging, that includes family and friends, it includes your health, it includes the things that are important to you, that definition of success will look a whole lot different than the narrow definition of a wealth-based pursuit of success. And that's the big message that I drive at uh, whenever I can have this conversation because I wish I had slowed down at some point to take a closer look. Now, again, a failing marriage and the rewards of office. I mean, the wallet was being stroked. The ego was being stroked. Our businesses were absolutely exploding around us. And it didn't seem like I could uh, I could fail when it came to money. Now, the odd thing, of course, slipped. and But the big picture was, you know, we were making money in ways that had never been imagined in my life in my life experiences. So there we were. So work-life balance, one of the great challenges in life for everybody. It's never a simple, it's not a formula, but it comes down to starting with your definition of success. Follow that then with a set of priorities that will help you find your definition or your definition of success. Great message. A year or two ago in a WestJet Up Magazine interview, you were asked something along the lines of this. If you could give a business person one piece of advice, what would it be? And if my memory serves me correctly, you responded in part that you had hired a coach. Um, Let me ask you this. Mm. Why is having a coach important? That's an interesting uh, observation, and it's it's not uncommon. The two things that I'll often talk about in terms of the one thing that people should do, and it's always hard to come up with the same thing every time, um, but the study of marketing is pretty important to me. I think that's your point of differentiation, and it's underestimated. People go, well, I can hire an advertising firm. No, until you understand the essences of marketing, uh, until you have, if you will, a PhD in several aspects of marketing, you can still learn more, and that's going to be your competitive advantage. But going back to your personal life, and in fact, the context of personal really means you know, your home life, your personal life in terms of physical, emotional, and, and intellectual health, and of course, where you fit in in the business world, I can tell you that a coach in my life has been invaluable. We used coaches at First Energy to try and navigate the really high pers- the, uh, highly passionate personalities of the partners that were at the table. Because remember, we built this firm from scratch. We didn't have a history of professional management. We built it on the backs of uh, you know ten guys who were all, uh, pardon me, ten people, a couple girls, and eight guys. But we built it on the strengths of the individuals who had been in their game. But they, none of them were presidents or managing directors at the firms they were at. So we had to create some common vision, some, uh, some shared values, and we used coaches to do that. Some were better than others. At the end of the day, about five years ago, I met a person, a person who has now become, I expect, my permanent life coach. And in the context of some say, well, why would you hire a coach? Well, I would use the analogy of Phil Mickelson, who has probably two or three coaches, a swing coach, a, uh, an exercise coach, a um, sports psychologist who's working with him, probably has a dietitian. But all of those are in place so that tomorrow he can be as good as he was today and maybe, hopefully, better. And that's the goal. And so I look at that in my own context and you know what? I want to maintain what I'm doing, at least what I'm doing. And I would hope that in every aspect of my life, I can continue to improve in some way, shape or form. Quality of life is what it's all about. Not just the length of your life, but the quality of your life. And I've found a coach invaluable. Thank you for that. Uh, does achievement and success and um, success in business, financial success, does that mean happiness? 
Oh, no. And certainly there's a perception that when you don't have money that happiness will follow. But that's why it's pretty important, as I share, to look pretty hard at what the definitions of success are and, and how, you would, uh, how you would go about enjoying, if you will, wealth. Now, I get a kick out of sharing the wealth I have. I do spend some of it, but I, can, you know, I honestly uh, have shared many times. I give away more than I spend on an annual basis. Maybe that's part of why I feel good about uh, the overall package as I present it for myself in terms of my family and friends. There's, um, there's no simple answer on that one, though. I know you, and you just alluded to this, and I know you believe in and have a passion for philanthropy, and you wrote that philanthropy is good for business. Can you give us some insight on what you meant by that? Yeah, I think there's a, often a perception that there's, a, if you will, an obligation to give money, a responsibility to give money. And when we started First Energy, we took a closer look at the community we were working in after I first asked all the partners to give me their top 10 charities because we were just going to give money to the partners' top 10 charities. 10 partners, 10 charities, should be 100 names. Well, the list that came back was 50 or 60 names because a lot of people put up you know, the Children's Hospital or Canadian Cancer Society or a given five or six were, were supportive of a given um, uh, hospice. So there was a lot of overlap. And so there we were with the tactic of giving money away, and there was nothing strategic about it. So the partners and I agreed that we would start the process over and take a closer look at the community in the context of what strategy for giving would make sense for us. We agreed up front that we were going to give 2.5% of our profit, pre-tax profit, to charity. The question is, how do we optimize the value? of it, we started to realize it was pretty obvious that people put their names on uh, lists as a certain level sponsor or their name on a building for a reason, and that's the marketing value associated with it. It's the recognition. And so we decided to be more strategic, and some say a little bit mercenary, but we chose charities where we could brand ourselves against our competitors or build relationships with our clients, or spouses of our clients, community leaders, people that we cared about who would know that we existed and who could comment in a positive way when the time came. So we were strategic in the giving of our money. Now, not every charity turned into a you know, relationship that mattered. I mean, I'll tell you that giving money to the uh, this no longer exists, but the Churchill Daycare was a daycare set up for helping single mothers. It didn't really affect the business of investment banking in downtown Calgary, but it did make a difference in terms of how our staff perceived the efforts we were making. And I can tell you, reading a, a thank you letter from someone who'd gone through Churchill was as valuable as any other relationship we were developing. So it was good for the company, it was good for the community, and it was good for our clients. And uh, that's really how we came to discover, I'm not going to pretend that we realized it was there to be done, but we came to discover that what was good for our community was going to be good for us, and we just had to be more strategic about how we went about doing that. And I still, to this day, choose charities that are based on family and friends in terms of where I give my support, uh, ongoing support for the, uh, the veterans, um, certain sports. There's a couple of boards I'm on. So I, I do have a, a pretty wide variety of things that I look to support these days. Thank you for that. Thank you for all you do. Um, I do want to talk about your book for just two seconds, but before that... You and I know you're ready for more, for the freedom that you were promised when you decided to become an entrepreneur. Sean Shuchuk is the number one results coach in the country, and he wants to work with you, but only if you want to achieve real and lasting results. If you want five times or ten times your income, and to do it fast, if you want that six or seven-figure income, visit changeyourresults.com now. 
send Sean a message and say, I want real freedom. I want to invest in myself and work with you. A lot of folks listening today are, are entrepreneurs. Do you care to give uh, one tidbit or morsel of information that you think would be beneficial? Sure. And go back to the, the comment we were having about the best piece of advice. And the personal coach is certainly one of them. But the other is the lifelong pursuit of learning. And I would embed in that the study of marketing, the study of entrepreneurship, and the study of philanthropy. And people say sometimes you can't study those things. You can only nurture them. And I go, all right, well, go ahead and nurture the, the entrepreneurial spirit in you. It's, for me, it's the planting of seeds. Um, and you can be far more strategic than, uh, than you realize if you take the time. Um, in that context. But number one, and I emphasize this regularly, is the study of marketing is your point of differentiation, as I said earlier. And in terms of trying to attract a customer, a client to you for the service or the widget that you make, marketing is your point of differentiation. The explosion in the world of social media, um, the utilization of the internet for um, at least providing awareness. I can hardly think of a company in existence today that doesn't or shouldn't have a website. I agree. Thank you for that. Your book is entitled Redefining Success, Still Making Mistakes. And again, I know a lot of folks listening that will want to get a copy. Where can they get it? Oh, it's available online. Um, and it's certainly been carried by uh, all the major booksellers in Canada. The uh, softcover book came out in the fall. And uh, I know I still see it in uh, airports across Canada. And certainly, uh, you know, whether it's Coles or uh, oh, I'm trying to think of a couple other names because I don't want to override to anyone. But, and it's certainly available online. Brett, thank you very much for taking the time and uh, spending a few minutes chatting with us. I appreciate it. I know the, the folks listening appreciate it. And um, welcome you back anytime. Thank you, and I appreciate the opportunity, Sean. Thank you for joining us today on Results Radio. Every show, we bring you the very best guests that share with you their experiences and expertise. Do whatever you have to do to join us for our next show. And visit us today at yourresultsradio.com. While you're there, get your copy of the Results Journal.